Well, on October 7th, 2023, uh, the world watched in horror, right, as we saw uh, some 1,500 uh, members of Hamas, uh, Hamas the terrorist organization, uh, which is most likely funded by Iran, whose, whose mission uh, is to destroy and wipe Israel off the face of the map, uh, we watched them breach this security fence in Gaza and come in and, and murder uh, many, many Jews. Uh, other Hamas terrorists uh, flew in, you saw that in the news, parachuted in uh, over a concert, uh, guns blazing, gunned down some uh, 260 uh, Jews and others uh, at a concert. And in all, they murdered over 1,400 Jews, almost all of whom were civilians. But the horror didn't end there. They, the, the women they didn't kill, they raped. They burned people alive. They beheaded babies. They posted their atrocities on their victims' own Facebook pages so that when people opened up their phones and looked on Facebook, they would see what they did to these people on their own pages. Hamas kidnapped some 240 other hostages, brought them back into Gaza, uh, and who knows uh, if they are dead or alive today, and if they're alive, who knows uh, what Hamas is doing to them. So frankly, this particular war is not between Palestine and Israel. This war is between good and evil. That's what's going on here. This is absolute evil, what is happening today. We're going to ask the question today, why did this happen? Why did this happen? And why has there been never-ending chaos, seemingly, uh, in the Middle East, uh, in this land called Palestine? So that's what we're going to talk about for the next two weeks. Uh, after these two weeks, we will be into our Advent series. Uh, so we'll be out of the Book of Mark for a while. We'll pick up with the Book of Mark again uh, back in the new year again. So I just think it's important that we know what's going on over there in Israel. Uh, and I think it's important that we realize uh, exactly who the players are. Uh, really, at, at, the, at its heart, the conflict over this land is about who owns it, who owns this land. So this week is going to be an overview over the, the history of the Arab-Israeli conflict. Because this recent war that we're seeing that's going on right now is just one chapter, just the latest chapter, in a conflict that's been raging uh, for a very long time. So today, an overview. Next week, we're going to talk about uh, why God is not allowing Israel to live peacefully in the land right now, what the Bible says about how God will one day bring peace uh, to Israel, and why, as Christians and Americans, uh, we should support Israel. Uh, but today, just an overview of the conflict in the land. So before we dive into that, I just want to make a few general comments uh, to start. And the first one is that Israel's right to the land is biblical. It's biblical. Uh, as Christians and as a church, we should stand with Israel because Israel is God's chosen people. God has made that clear throughout his word, beginning all the way back in Genesis chapter 12 with the promises that he made to Abraham to give Abraham land, seed, blessing, uh, descendants, and, and of course the promised land. Now, we Gentiles have been grafted into Israel, grafted into his grace, as Romans 11 says. Uh, the church has not replaced Israel. God has not abandoned Israel. God has temporarily set Israel aside. This is what Romans 11.25 says. I do not want you, uh, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until all the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. But then you see that God is not done with Israel. Verse 26, and so all Israel will be saved. 
So we stand with God because God chose Israel and because God is not done with Israel. So that's the first thing, uh, and we'll come back to it as well. Uh, the, the land, the right to the land is biblical. Secondly, this is a spiritual battle. The fight for this land is a spiritual battle. This is spiritual warfare being carried out by Satan and his demons. Satan loves murder, strife, conflict, uh, especially when it's against God's chosen people, Israel, because Satan is against God, and so naturally he is against God's chosen people. And so Satan uses barbaric uh, fanatics like Hamas who say that they're acting for God's sake uh, to do this horrible act that they're doing, to kill Jews. Now, Hamas is a terrorist group. I do not equate the Palestinians with Hamas. They are not the same people. The Palestinians are ruled by Hamas, and many of them are innocent victims that Hamas uses as human shields to accomplish their objectives. Just this week, uh, I'm sure you saw in the news that Israel found a, a cache of weapons, uh, not only uh, in the biggest hospital in Gaza, but also in a, in a school uh, where kindergarten uh, is being held. And, and so this is how Hamas operates. And so they use the Palestinian people to achieve their objective of destroying Israel. And what it does is nothing short of satanic. And that is why I say this fight is a spiritual battle. The third thing I would say is that religion is at the heart of this conflict. It's about religion. As we'll see, uh, Jews of Israel and Arab Muslims both claim that God has given them this land. And so both groups claim Jerusalem as sacred and holy ground. And so that's why Hamas is willing to kill babies and the elderly in order to keep it. And that's why Israel will defend its right to the land with all of its might. So religion is at the heart of this conflict and then the fourth general comment is that God is sovereign over this conflict. God has allowed this conflict to go on for decades, for centuries. These most recent attacks six weeks ago, they did not surprise God. God was not surprised by this. Nothing can happen outside of God's will and control. So remember Job, right? God gave him a certain amount of power to do a certain amount of things to Job. And that was it. He could only go as far as God allowed. So though these attacks are satanic and they're carried out by Satan's demons, God is still in control and he's working out his plans through what is going on in Israel right now. So four general comments. Now, let's just do an overview of the history of this conflict and then we'll finish with some applications about what our response to this conflict ought to be. So let's just start by asking the question, what are the origins of this conflict? What is this fighting all about? Why can there never be peace in the Middle East? Well, these are complex questions because though this fighting has been raging since 1948 when Israel was granted uh, or won, uh, fought the war to, to, uh, to win its independence, uh, this conflict has been going on for millennia, for millennia is how long it's been going on, all the way back to Abraham's two sons, uh, Isaac and Ishmael. Abraham's two sons. So let's talk first about Israel's right to the land. Remember, uh, back in Genesis chapter 11, verses 26 through 32, God called a man named Abraham, a Gentile from the land of Ur, to leave his homeland and to go to a place that God would show him. 
Now, Abraham was an idol-worshiping pagan from an idol-worshiping city when God called him. There was nothing special about Abraham. He didn't do anything to deserve this particular call, but God called him. And in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, this is what God said. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Now, this is known as the Abrahamic covenant, which God will expand on later in some of the later chapters in Genesis. So Abraham and his caravan obeyed God. Uh, They started out all the way in this area called the city of Ur. They journeyed up to Haran. They camped there for a while, and then they descended down into the land of Canaan. And then in Genesis 15, God gave further details to Abraham about the extent of this covenant because Abraham questioned God at that time. He said, God, I have no child, and Eleazar, my servant, is going to be the heir of all that I have. And God said to him, no, Abraham, that is not what's going to happen. God reiterated that he was giving Abraham the land and that he would have seed and uh, seed too numerous to count and that he would give Abraham the land to possess it. And God outlined the general boundaries of the land in Genesis chapter 15, verses 18 to 21. Uh, This is what he said. Uh, On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphaites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and Jebusites. So God gave Israel title to the land some 4,000 years ago. And this striped area that you see on the map here is the full extent of what God gave them from the Wadi in Egypt, the Mediterranean Sea, all the way east to uh, the Euphrates River. Now, in Genesis chapter 16, Abraham and Sarah got frustrated because God was taking so long to fulfill his promise. So Sarah sent uh, Abraham into her maid, Hagar, and the result of that union was the conception of Ishmael. But Ishmael was not the child of the promise through whom God would fulfill his covenant. God repeated the covenant again to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17, verses 19 to 21. Then God said, uh, "'Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac.'" I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will surely make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. Next year, right on time, Uh, Sarah gave birth to Isaac, the child of the promise. He was the one through whom God would fulfill the promises made to uh, Abraham. And through uh, Isaac, the nation of Israel was born. Those of the line of Isaac became Israelites, God's chosen people. And the line of Ishmael became the Ishmaelites, through whom the Arabs descended. And so, In time, as you know, Jacob and Esau were born uh, to Isaac and to Rebekah. God chose Jacob to be the son through whom the line would continue. 
And so Israel's history continues with Jacob's 12 sons, how they went down to Egypt because of the famine, and how Joseph rescued them, and then how the, they grew so numerous that the Egyptians became fearful of them, and so they enslaved them in, Israel, in Egypt for 400 years. And it was then that God called Moses to lead the people out of Egypt and back into the promised land. Now, just before the 12 tribes entered back into the promised land, in Deuteronomy chapters 28 through 30, God spoke to Moses. He renewed the promise that he had made to Abraham some four, five, six hundred years earlier about giving this land to the Israelites, the land that extended from the Mediterranean Sea all the way to the Euphrates River. Israel still held title to the land. God had given them the deed to the land. But what he said in in Deuteronomy 28 through 30 is that though Israel holds title to the land and the covenant to give Israel the land is unconditional, its right to occupy the land was going to be conditional on Israel's obedience. So God promised that if Israel obeyed, then they would live in the land. They would occupy it. But if they didn't obey, God would uproot them from their land and thrust them into another land. So Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 64, The Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth, and there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone, which you or your fathers have not known. And so this is the warning, uh, that God would treat them this way if they disobeyed uh, the law that he had given them. So Joshua led the people back into the Promised Land about 1400 BC, conquering various cities in the Promised Land, but never possessing all the land that God had promised them. And unfortunately, as we know, Israel's history in the Promised Land was filled with idolatry and disobedience to God's law. Remember, Israel's continued occupation on the land was conditioned on them obeying the law. And at its greatest height, under David and Solomon, this is the most that Israel ever possessed of the land, that cut out on the inside with the purple around it uh, as compared to all of the promised land uh, that God had promised to Israel. So Israel persisted, even though the prophets came and warned them. It persisted in unbelief. It persisted in idolatry. And God brought about the consequences that he promised. Remember in 722 BC, uh, the 10 northern tribes were were, uh, destroyed, scattered by Assyria back then in 722. And the two southern tribes in 586 BC, Babylon came, uh, destroyed Jerusalem and took certain uh, exiles back to Babylon like Daniel and his friends and left a remnant uh, in Israel. That's what happened to the 12 tribes. Now, 70 years later, after Babylon exiled uh, the the Jews from from Israel, uh, God brought them back through Zerubbabel, through uh, Nehemiah, through Ezra, just as the prophet Jeremiah had prophesied. 70 years you'll be in exile, then you will come back. But though Israel was back in its land, still they suffered from disobedience. And because of that, uh, they have since suffered, before the time of Jesus, occupation from the Persians, uh, and then the Greeks, and then the Romans before Jesus' day. And Jesus called on them, repent of your sins. Uh, I, am, I am here to save you from your sins. Believe in me and you shall have eternal life. But most of Israel rejected him and they continued in their unbelief. And Jesus warned them that as a result, your destruction is imminent. And Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem. Remember that, how Israel, how I have longed to gather you like a, like a hen gathers its chicks under its wings, but you were not willing 
And Jesus said uh, that, that they would be destroyed because they did not recognize what he called the time of his visitation. And Jesus went on to prophesy about this destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, and that happened in AD 70, beginning what is called now, what Jesus called in Luke chapter 21, verse 24, the times of the Gentiles. That's when it all began. And since the first century, uh, Israel has suffered occupation. It's been ruled by the Romans, then the Byzantines, then the Arabs, then the Catholic Crusaders, then the Arabs again, then the Egyptian Mamluks, and then the Turkish Ottoman Empire, all the way into uh, the, the 20th century when Great Britain occupied uh, Israel under what is called the, the British Mandate. And even today, most Jews still reject their Messiah. They refuse to believe that Jesus died for their sins and rose from the dead, and by placing faith in him, they can be saved. They don't believe that. And I believe that God is using this conflict in Israel uh, to bring some Jews to himself. Some, I believe, will be saved as a result of this. But I also believe that Jews will not believe en masse, as Romans 11 predicts, until after uh, the rapture of the church and in the tribulation. And we'll talk more about that next week. But throughout this history, thousands of years of, of disobedience, persistent disobedience from Israel, God has never withdrawn his covenant to give Israel that land. They still hold the deed to the land. And one day, they will occupy it in peace because God's promises are eternal and irrevocable, and we can trust him. And since God gave that land to Israel 4,000 years ago, there has always been at least a remnant of Israel in the land. Often it's been a very small percentage of the total number of people who have lived there, but at least some Jews have occupied that land consistently and continuously for 4,000 years. Now fast forward today to today. And what we're hearing from ignorant students on college campuses and even more ignorant congresswomen uh, on the news uh, stirring people up is that Israel are occupiers, imperialists, colonialists, and trespassers. That could not be further from the truth. God gave Israel title to the land. They hold the deed. And Israel has occupied this land, at least in part, for 4,000 years. So they're not colonialists. They're not imperialists. They're not occupiers or trespassers. It's their land. And one day, God will give Israel this land to possess in perpetuity and in peace. So those are the Israel claims to the land. What about the Palestinians' claims to the land? The first time that the term Palestine was ever used was back in 135 AD. That's 2100 years after God gave the land to Israel. Now here's how it happened. The Romans destroyed the temple in 70 AD. We know that, right? But after that, what happened was Roman, the Rome, Rome killed most of the Jews and they scattered the rest of them. Well, in 132 AD, another revolutionary by the name of Simon Bar Kokhba arose and he regathered the remnant of, in Israel that was there and he started a revolution against Rome. Well, the Roman emperor at the time, Hadrian, said, I have had enough of this. We're going to wipe out these Jews once and for all. And so he sent in his Roman army and they killed many, many Jews. Uh, and what he did after that was that he renamed uh, this land called Israel Palestine. He called it Palestine for the first time. 
Palestine is a Latinized form of the word Philistine, which is Israel's ancient enemy. And so he did this to humiliate Israel and to erase Israel's identity. And the way you erase a people's identity is to remove them and their history from the land. And so, again, this is a, an attempt by Satan and his demons to, to destroy Israel's connection to the land. And Satan has wanted to destroy Israel since the time of the promise. Now, at that time, 135 AD, everybody who was living in the land, because of this new name, they all became known as Palestinians. Whether you were Jew, Arab, or whatever you were, uh, they were still, they were called Palestinians, Jews and Gentiles alike. But remember, this is still 500 years before the rise of Islam in 600 AD and the Arab Muslims that are claiming that the land is theirs today. In around 600 AD, there was a man named Muhammad from the land that we now know as Saudi Arabia. And he claimed to be called by God and to give the Arab people uh, who were descended from Ishmael a religion of their own. And so uh, he spoke of revelation that he received from Allah. Uh, Allah is, is a... Uh, it comes from the Hebrew word Eloah, meaning Almighty God. And his slogan was, there is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. And that was the, the way uh, his religion began. Muhammad said he received this revelation from Allah, uh, and eventually he wrote down this revelation in what we know as the Quran. So one of the claims to the land from the Palestinians, it comes from the Quran itself. Now, if you read the Quran, uh, it's largely a rewriting of what we find in the Old Testament. It asserts that Abraham and Moses and even Jesus were religious prophets that led up to Muhammad, who was God's final prophet. It also claims that Ishmael is the child of the promise, not Isaac. Uh, Ishmael as, was the older son, and it was Ishmael, actually, who, who Abraham nearly sacrificed on Mount Moriah. And so the, the, the promise comes through Ishmael, not through Isaac. So that's the claim. Now, Muhammad, for himself, he built a following. Uh, he killed those who wouldn't follow him, and then he began spreading his religion by military conquest. And Muhammad conquered Jerusalem in about 640 A.D., and since then, there has been a continuous presence of Arabs in the Promised Land. Now today, uh, the term Palestinians refers to non-Jewish, Arab-speaking residents. Many Palestinians are Muslim, but not all. Some Palestinians are even Christians. And so it's wrong to equate the Palestinians with Hamas. Now, the Muslim claim that the land is theirs through the Quran because Ishmael is the child of the promise is just flat out wrong. It's absolutely wrong. The claim is based solely on a later corruption of the Old Testament by Muhammad in the Quran. Isaac is the child of the promise, not Ishmael. The line of blessing through, flows through him. But the people, the, the, the Muslims who read the Quran, believe that this is true. Uh, and we know that it is a lie. Now, another claim is that Muslims believe that Jerusalem is sacred because, uh, supposedly, Muhammad ascended on a winged horse uh, to heaven from Jerusalem. Now, that is a later fabrication. That's not in the Quran. In fact, Muhammad never even visited Jerusalem. And so that is made up, and that is not a truthful claim to the land either. But one Palestinian claim to the land uh, that we must sympathize with is that they have been in that land for 1,400 consecutive years. They have been the great majority in the land during that time. 
And so they first occupied it during the Muslim conquest in 600 AD and all the way until 1948 AD when uh, Jerusalem was reestablished as a nation in the land. The great majority of people living in the land were these Arabs uh, rather than the Jews. So they've been occupying it for four, 1,400 straight years. And we can understand why they would feel offended and affronted by Israel's uh, return to the land. Uh, just to, to equate it with what, what we have here in the U.S., we believe that the U.S. is our land, even though uh, we didn't own it, the Native Americans owned it, but now we own it. So uh, we, we feel that the land is ours, but Native Americans think that we took it from them, that we stole it from them. And that's how the Palestinians feel, uh, like their land has been stolen from them. And I don't at all want to be insensitive to their plight. I don't. I, I, I feel terrible for them. But the fact is that they have not lived there longer in the land, and they were never given the deed to the land as Israel was. And so Israel has lived there at least as a remnant for 4,000 years, which is 2,600 years longer than the Palestinian claim when God gave the land to Abraham. All right, so that's ancient history, ancient history about what has happened in the land. What about uh, more recent history of the conflict? The conflict has its roots all the way back to Isaac and Ishmael, uh, but the present conflict has more recent triggering events. At the end of the 19th century, we're talking late 1800s here, what is known as the Zionist movement began. Zionism was a, a surge of Jewish nationalism that was, uh, made people feel like they had a right to go home, to be in their land, that they no, no longer should be dispersed uh, throughout the world, but, but should have their own homeland. And at the end of the 1800s, they started to move back into Israel, often buying land uh, from the Ottoman Turks, who had been ruling that land for centuries, and they began to reside uh, as homeowners in the Promised Land. Now, while that was going on, uh, World War I was on the horizon, and, and during World War I, the Ottoman Turks were conquered by Great Britain. Great Britain conquered the Ottoman Empire, and then Britain came to have sovereignty over that land. They ruled it under uh, what is called the British Mandate, uh, which was a charter to occupy and govern the land uh, by, given to them by the newly formed League of Nations. Now, England made promises to Israel during that time that Israel would be back in the land. The Balfour Declaration, uh, given by the government uh, to Israel, pledged that the establishment of Palestine as a national home for Jewish people would be high on their priority list. And so in 1917, uh, that area that is uh, colored red, that is the area that Britain decided uh, would be Israel's allotted portion in the Promised Land. However, there was a family called the Husseins, a very powerful Arab family who objected uh, to this. And so what happened was that Winston Churchill, not yet the prime minister of England, this was you know, 20, 25 years before that, uh, he was an official in the British government and he decided to draw a line right down the Jordan River. And he decided that to the west of the Jordan River would be Palestine, Israel's land, and to the right would be called Transjordan. Uh, and so that land is now known as Jordan. Now, the Hussein family that complained, even to this day, uh, Jordan has a Hussein presently sitting on the throne of uh, Jordan. And so uh, now we have Israel, uh, Jews moving back into the land. And of course, tension is increasing as, and the demographics of the land are changing. 
Now, fast forward to near World War II when Hitler began his march of terror and he started to, to specifically target Jews. Uh, the Jews who he was after, specifically uh, those in Poland especially, uh, they started to, to uh, fear and they wanted to go to a place of refuge. Now, what happened with Israel was that the, the government limited the amount of Jews that could come into Israel. And so these Jews from various areas in Europe were not allowed to go into Israel, and many of the other countries wouldn't receive them either. And so with no other place to go, Hitler rounded them up and he sent them to concentration camps, and we know that six million Jews were killed during that time. Now, after the war, of course, this created a strong sentiment that Israel should have its own homeland and that it ought to be in Palestine. And as more Jews came back, hostilities between Palestinians and Jews living in the land increased. Now, what does Britain do? Uh, you know, during this entire conflict, they're like, this is so messy, this is so complicated, we can't figure out what to do with this. So Britain says, UN, we are turning this thing back over to you. We want the British mandate to end. It's your problem now. And so that's what they did. They turned it back over. They picked a date when the British mandate would end, and that was May 14, 1948. And what the UN did was it drew up boundary lines uh, for Palestine. And this is what it looked like. The, the areas in blue would belong to Israel. The areas in pink would belong to uh, Palestine and Jerusalem in white there. You probably can't see that, but it is white because it's going to remain under international control during this time period. Now, on the day, the same day that the British mandate ended, May 14, 1948, Israel declared its independence, and then all the surrounding nations went to war against Israel. So what you have is Egypt and Sudan in the south. You have Syria and Lebanon to the north. You have Jordan and you have Iraq to the east. They all, on the same day, fight against Israel. And it is absolutely miraculous that Israel managed to defeat all of those enemies. And after that, in 1949, after Israel won its fight for independence, then the UN recognized them as a sovereign, independent nation. But what happened during the war is that many Palestinians who lived in the land, they evacuated. They did not want to be part of uh, the collateral damage of this war. And when they wanted to return after the war, Israel barred these refugees from returning. And many of the other Muslim countries in the neighborhood refused to accept them either. And so now these Palestinians begin living as refugees in settlements. And it truly is tragic because they have lost their homeland and they have no place to call home. And now that Israel possesses the land, again, they see the, 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 the Palestinians see the Jews as colonizers and trespassers and they reject Israel's biblical claims to the land. Now, Israel has fought many wars since 1948, right? If you've been watching the news for the past 20, 30, 40, 50 years, you've seen uh, what has happened over there. There was the Six-Day War of 1967. Uh, there was the Yom Kippur War of 1973. There have been various skirmishes in the 70s and 80s with uh, Yasser Arafat's led Palestinian Liberation Organization, which was a terrorist group designed to remove Israel from the land. Israel has put down several uh, Palestinian infantadas, the word means uprising, uh, against Israel. Uh, and now we have this war that Hamas started on October 7th. And what is amazing is that this little country that is no bigger than the state of New Jersey, can you see that little red area right there? That is the size of Israel compared to its surrounding nations. It is an absolute God thing that Israel has survived 
all of this, it's proof alone that God has chosen Israel. There is no way that this country could have survived if God were not with them. So let's ask the question, why can't there be peace? Why can't there be peace? Well, since 1948, uh, the map has, has changed many times because of the territory won and lost in these wars. Uh, during these conflicts, specifically during the Six-Day War in 1967, uh, Israel actually uh, owned this part. This, was Gaza. Uh, this is the West Bank. This is Gaza. After the Six-Day War, Israel occupied all of it, including this big area that we call the Sinai Peninsula. Now, after the war, uh, they, they eventually gave the Sinai Peninsula back. But what was happening was that Palestinians were becoming more and more displaced and more of the territory became disputed. And now, generally speaking, though uh, Palestinians live throughout the land, uh, this map on the right here shows more or less where they live today, in Gaza and a little smattering of area in, in uh, the uh, West Bank. That's where uh, most of the Palestinians live. But Palestine has never had its own government. It's never been an official state. It's been ruled by the PLO, and now it's ruled by Hamas. It's never had its own government. And Hamas itself is a terrorist organization. Hamas was formed in 1988, a spin-off group from another group called the Muslim Brotherhood. And its 1988 charter says, Hamas rejects any alternative to the full and complete liberation of Palestine from the river to the sea. In other words, it's calling for the complete annihilation of Israel. It also says the day of judgment will not come about until Muslims fight Jews and kill them. And so what they believe is that their Messiah, whom they call the Mahdi, M-A-H-D-I, or the 12th Imam, uh, he will not come until all Jews are killed and they take back the land. So again, this is a religious conflict at its heart. Hamas will not rest until all Jews have been eradicated from the land. Now, various two-state proposals have been proposed over the decades. Uh, many, uh, and the, the uh, Palestinians have rejected all of them. Uh, Hamas, in particular, they don't want a two-state solution. Hamas believes that the land belongs to the Palestinians, and they see the Jews as occupiers, as imperialists. And so that's why they will never, never agree to a two-state solution. And so Golda Meir, who was the prime minister of Israel back in the early 70s, she famously said this, if the Palestinians lay down their weapons, there will be no more violence. But if Israel lays down their weapons, there will be no more Israel. Now, tensions have ebbed and they have flowed in the Middle East for decades. Sometimes there's relative peace. Other times we have what we have now, conflict, fighting. So why did Hamas choose to invade Israel now? What is the goal? What was the reason for choosing to do it now? Well, these Palestinians, uh, well, Hamas, I should say, not the Palestinians. Hamas is losing support of the Arab nations around the world. Just look at what's been happening. Uh, Egypt in 1979 and Jordan in 1994, these are the green countries, they have formed formal and signed formal peace agreements with Israel. And over the last several years, especially when Donald Trump was in office, uh, we had uh, several Arab nations, specifically the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, uh, Morocco, and Sudan, normalize relationships with Israel, which means uh, that they recognize each other's right to exist, they do business with each other, they allow travel between the countries, they have normal relations, they're not hostile to each other anymore. Now that big area called Saudi Arabia, 
they have not been hostile to Israel in decades, but in recent months, Saudi Arabia and Israel have been working toward a formal written peace agreement with the help of our government. Now, Saudi Arabia would be a huge domino to fall uh, in line with these countries that are making peace with Israel because it's the wealthiest nation and it has the most oil. And so it was on the verge of joining these other Arab nations in normalizing relations with Israel. And there are lots of economic and military reasons for wanting to have normalized relations with Israel. There's great profit in it. And secondly, uh, militarily, Israel and Saudi Arabia are both allies of the United States. So, and they both fear uh, aggression from Iran. And so it makes sense that they would both want to be uh, friends with the United States and therefore friends with each other. So there are good reasons for peace. But Hamas wanted to stop this peace agreement between Israel and Saudi Arabia. They don't want Israel to have more Arab friends, and so they attacked. And so these Hamas attacks on Israel have caused Saudi Arabia to pull back, at least temporarily, on pursuing this uh, historic peace agreement. And part of the reason for that is because uh, Saudi Arabia and Iran have not historically been great friends, but back in March, they decided that they would ease tensions between each other. And so what has happened now is that since Hezbollah and Hamas have both claimed that Iran is behind the attacks, well, now Saudi Arabia is nervous about making peace with Israel because they fear attacks from Iran. And you could say that Hamas achieved one of its goals by stopping this peace process because they have at least delayed it uh, for a, a temporary basis at the very least. But its stated goal is to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. And so that's why Israel declared war and has gone into Hamas, into Gaza, with the express purpose of eliminating Hamas once and for all. Because they rightly believe that Israel will never live in peace. They will never allow Israel peace. Uh, and they want, the, they want to destroy Hamas to ensure their very survival. And so this war promises to be long and difficult. And one huge obstacle to peace is that Hamas and not the people of Palestine are leading the movement. Now, we're not seeing on the news that the people of Palestine are uprising, uh, challenging Hamas. Now, I don't know why that is. That could be, one, because they're in favor of what Hamas is doing, or two, because our media doesn't show it. I, I don't know. Uh, but what we do know is that there, there are people in Palestine who don't support Hamas. And this war is just as tragic for those people as it is for the people of Israel. Hamas has taken money uh, given by our government and other governments for humanitarian aid. And what have they done with it? They've built bunkers under hospitals to store weapons. They've built bunkers under schools to store weapons where they hide themselves and they hide their weapons. And as I said, Israel recently found a stash of weapons under that uh, huge hospital uh, in, uh, in Gaza and in a kindergarten school. And bombing these bunkers will kill civilians. That is going to happen. And that's why Israel dropped leaflets before they invaded Gaza, telling those who wanted to get out to get out. Now, it sounds crazy to tell your enemy exactly what you're going to do before you do it, but Israel does not want to kill innocent civilians. On the other hand, Hamas knows that innocent civilians will die. They don't care. Civilian deaths advance their cause because their goal is not the protection and the prevention of the Palestinian people, nor is their goal peace. If they wanted peace, they would release the hostages. Their goal is to wipe Israel off the map. They want Israel to kill Palestinian citizens so that the tide of world opinion will turn against Israel. 
And so the Palestinian people are just another weapon in Hamas's uh, arsenal to destroy Israel. And we're already seeing the results of this propaganda campaign on college campuses and in Congress uh, where they are chanting from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. That, is a, that, that means from the Euphrates River to the Mediterranean Sea, they want to cleanse the promised land of the people to whom God promised the land, the Jews. And that is genocide. That's what they're advocating. Now, humanly speaking, the resolution of this conflict seems impossible. There are too many players, there's too much bad blood, there's too much history, there's one little bit of land, and too many people fighting over it. Many presidents and other world leaders have tried to bring peace to this land, but the fighting never ceases. And that's because it's not only a fight over land, it's a fight over religion. It's a spiritual war. And still, God is sovereign, and he has a plan that he will achieve. There will be peace in the Middle East one day. So that's how we got to where we are today. Who owns the land? Well, I believe Israel owns the land. And if you want more information on this, uh, I read a fantastic book by uh, Stanley Ellison and Charlie Dyer called Who Owns the Land that lays out this conflict in great detail. It's about 15, 20 years old, so it's a little bit dated, uh, but still great. And I also have uh, been watching some uh, sermons by a guy named Gary Hamrick uh, from Cornerstone Chapel in Leesville, Virginia, which were very helpful. And in fact, uh, Gary lent me some of the slides that I used in this presentation. Uh, so thanks to him. Uh, so next week, we're going to talk about why God is not allowing Israel to live peacefully in the land, what the Bible says about how God will one day bring peace to Israel, and why uh, Christians and Americans ought to support Israel. And the short answer is, we support Israel because God said in Genesis 12, those who bless Israel, he will bless, and those who curse Israel, he will curse. So in the meantime, let's ask ourselves, what can we do? The first thing we can do is we can support Israel. There are several pro-Israeli organizations uh, that we can donate money to. Some provide humanitarian aid to Jewish victims. Others provide education to the world about Israel and its right to the land and the history of this conflict. And so if God is putting it on your heart to donate, uh, you can do some research on the internet and you can find uh, charities that are, are, are working for Israel and you can be sure uh, that your money will be safe with them. So you can support Israel. The second thing you can do is you can engage politically. You can email our representatives in government and you can tell them that you support Israel. What we're gonna see and what we're already seeing is that support for Israel is going to wane as this conflict continues and Palestinian civilians are killed. It's already started to happen. Palestinian civilians have died, they will continue to die. And that is going to turn the tide of world opinion against Israel, and it may give our leaders cold feet about whether they should continue to support Israel. So keep emailing our congressmen, our congresswomen, so they don't change their minds, because pro-Palestinian people are loudly now calling for a ceasefire, which is very convenient for them after they've done their damage that there should be a ceasefire. But politicians listen to the loudest voices. So be a loud voice. Email your congressmen, congresswomen, and senators. And the last thing you can do, of course, is to pray. To pray that God's will will be done. Pray that he would protect the people uh, of Israel and innocent Palestinians, some of whom are Christians, living in fear under Hamas. Pray that Israel would achieve its objectives quickly, uh, with as little loss of life as possible, before this war can escalate uh, into a regional or even a global conflict. Pray for the leaders uh, of the countries making decisions. Uh, and don't forget that God is sovereign.
You know, though Israel's claims to the world, uh, to the land, uh, are biblical, uh, that makes, it makes it biblical for us to support them. Uh, and so we, we support Israel's right to the land because it is biblical. But we have to remember that God calls on us to love not only our friends, uh, but to love our enemies and to pray for them. So throughout this conflict, we can pray for Jews to be saved. We can even pray for Hamas to be saved. Can you imagine if Hamas started to believe that Jesus Christ died for their sins and rose from the dead, how that would change the world? God can do that. That's the kind of God we serve. God is sovereign. Uh, He can do whatever he wants. He has a plan, and he can end this conflict whenever what he wants to achieve through it has been achieved. Let's pray. Lord God, we have to submit to you that that we do not know uh, what you're doing in this conflict. What we do know, Lord, is that many people in Israel and in that region of the Middle East have not received you as Lord and Savior. And so, Lord, we just put it before you. We, We pray for the people of Israel, and we pray for the people of Hamas, Lord, that their eyes would be open, that the scales would fall off, that they would recognize Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and that they would be saved and that they would be changed, and that the fighting would cease. Lord, you have a plan. Uh, we trust it. We pray for the best possible outcome with the less, least loss of, of life as possible. But Lord, ultimately, we ask that your plan and your objectives be fulfilled. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.